showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. Welcome back to Relationship Psych. Today with us, I have Dr. Wyatt Fisher, who's a licensed psychologist in Boulder, Colorado, and the host of the Dr. Wyatt Show podcast. So welcome to the show. Today, we are talking about emotional intimacy. This is a topic that matters to me a lot. And I'll tell you why in just a second. So welcome to the show, Wyatt. Thanks, Amber. So emotional intimacy, when I saw that this was a topic uh, that Dr. Fisher talks about, I was like, ooh, this is what I want to talk about. Because when I was young, in my early 20s, I had a long-term boyfriend. And I broke up with him and he said, don't break up with me. I want to go to couples counseling. I said, okay. So we went to couples counseling in our first session. This is my doing my undergrad in psych at the time. And we're in our first session. The therapist says, what are you guys here for? And I said, I want emotional intimacy. We used to have it. Now it's gone. And the therapist turned to my partner and said, do you know what that is? And my partner said, no, it never occurred to me that my partner didn't have any idea what it was. And I, that was a really powerful moment in my life where I realized just because I know something that I want doesn't mean the person I'm trying to tell has that same impression or knows what it is. So I'm really excited to talk about this with you today. So how come the topic of emotional intimacy matters to you? Well, it matters to me for a few reasons. Um, one is I'm married to someone where that's one of their top needs. Okay. So that and, would matter a lot. Yes. So that's matters a lot to her. And so I've had to learn through the years, what does that mean to her and what is she looking for? And that's been a work in progress to make sure I'm trying to be the best version of myself. I can be in our marriage to meet her need in that way. And I'm a couples counselor. So I work with couples all the time where usually at least one partner that is a top need. And so it's something I'm constantly helping couples with and something I'm constantly working on myself to become better at it for my own partner. Mm. I like what you said there about like, it's one of my partner's top needs. So I need to be paying attention to, or doing, doing it some, some variation of that. You said, yeah. How come that's important to you to do things that are important to your partner? Uh, you know, I'm a believer, I'm a believer in being a good partner. Um, you know, that's what I eat and breathe when I'm helping other people or doing my own podcast. It's all about how to help other people have good relationships. And so I really believe in trying to practice what I preach. And so I'm a huge advocate of, you know, getting feedback from your partner on how I, how we can become better for them. And hopefully that inspires them to do the same. And so I am not at all a proponent of being a lazy partner. Mm. I'm all about how to become the best partner you possibly can. And part of that includes getting regular feedback from your spouse or from your partner on how can I improve? You know, how can I be better for you? And then learning the skills on how to provide that as best as we can. Right. Well, and I think that's so important. Yesterday, I think I was reading a comment on one of my Instagram posts about words of affirmation or something like that. And one of the comments was, but this isn't how I give love. So should I give it to my partner that way anyway? And my thought is yes. 
And it, it, like any new skill, like learning to ride a bike, it's hard at the beginning, but with enough practice, it can, something I can not do for years. I can jump right back on. It's super easy. Sure. And I like to think of thinking about a lot of these things as sometimes there might be a little sacrifice for us sometimes to learn a new thing, but ultimately that being a good partner sometimes means how do we figure out a way in some cases to do things we wouldn't otherwise do to be there for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing you can say in response to your partner's needs is that's just not who I am. So get right. over it. I mean, the moment you do that, you turn your relationship into a prison for your partner mm. and you would hate to have them say that to you with your top needs. Right. So it's a lot of re reciprocity with, you know, if, if they want, if I want them to be that kind of partner for me, I need to make sure I'm doing all I can to be that kind of partner for them. Right. I love that you said that that's not just not who I am. All of a sudden, like all these voices of past clients just went through my head, like ping, 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 all the times I've gotten that reaction. And it's such a common thing to say. That's not who I am. Yeah. Um, and well, what, what I guess, what, what is your response to that? How do you handle it when people tell you that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I tell people, you know, instead of it's eat, first of all, I try to validate it because it is natural. Like if your partner says, Hey, I, I have this kind of need or this kind of desire, it's very natural if it's not your wiring to say, that's not me. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even want to learn about that. Like it's, it's, it's just human nature, I think, to almost scoff or dismiss and judge a need yeah. that's not our own. Um, but then I explain to them, if you have that position, it does tell your partner that this relationship just turned into a prison. Yeah. Um, and then I say, instead of that posture, try this out instead. Try to have the mentality of, okay, that's not my natural bent, but... I'm going to try everything I can to learn how to get better at it and how to mm. improve because I know that's going to honor your need for it. Even if I don't become the best at it, I know that my heart and my effort toward it is going to really mean a lot. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So what on earth is emotional intimacy? When we heard, the, we hear this term thrown around, I said it, how would you define it? Yeah. You know, I think everyone defines it different. Um, I define emotional intimacy by, by knowing your partner's inner world because all of us have an inner world on some level, right? We go through our days and we're doing a lot of tasks. And sometimes we have feelings connected to those tasks, but a lot of other times we have feelings that have nothing to do with the tasks. And they're just these undercurrents of emotions we have related to different things in our life, different seasons we're going through. So we have this continual internal, you know, development of things happening. John Gottman, as I'm sure you know, re references it as the love map. You know, we have all this different bridges are being built and different buildings are being erected or torn down, new roads are being constructed. And so it's, it's learning about what that is in our partner and sharing about what those things are in our own life. And then having some skills around how do we stay updated on that information on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. And remember the information. Correct. Well. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Cause then it allows you to be more attuned right? Mm -hmm. So you can follow up if your partner shares something that's going on for them and you remember it, then you can follow up with it and ask questions like, Hey, how's that thing going for you? You mentioned last night, mm -hmm. or how's that fight with your sister? You talked about yesterday, any updates or how's that new business development you're really excited about? Have you heard anything from that client? You know, things like that, when you track your partner on things that are important to them, makes them feel so cared and that you're focused and that makes them feel closer to you. Mm hmm. I love what you said about like, oh, how was that meeting or how was that business thing? You're following up with a thing that they talked about the day before you're checking in like the day after. And it does make you feel cared about when someone when you told someone something and they remember to follow up with you. You're like, you remembered that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's much better than your partner saying, so how was work today? 
compared to if they said, how was that thing at work today that you talked about yesterday? Right. Right. And so it, it does take a little more effort to do because mm-hmm. you have to kind of think like, what did we talk about yesterday? Maybe you made a, a note of like, maybe you put it in your calendar. They had this important conference that they were going to, or they were giving a talk or they were giving a presentation or they were stressed about this deal. Yeah. You might have to like employ some skills or some tools, like literally set a calendar reminder. Cause I'm guilty of sitting down at dinner and asking my husband, so how was work today? After I just mm-hmm. spent my whole day asking everyone else questions. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're not going to always remember everything, right? Yeah. Things are going to slip through the cracks, but I think those types, I mean, first of all, it's having conversations to share that kind of content. And then second of all, it's following up on how are those things going. Right. Um, and then we start putting those two things together and it'll make your partner start feeling much closer with you. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think gets in the way of couples building emotional intimacy and connection? I think several things. I think one is just not recognizing the importance of it. And so they don't prioritize it, especially if it's not your personal need. And so people are kind of just, you know, ah, we don't need to do that. That's ridiculous. You know, what's the big deal? And so I think that's a big barrier. If, if one partner doesn't have the need and they haven't bought into the value of nurturing that need, even if it's not their own. Um, I think a second barrier is busyness. You know, couples are so busy trying to raise a family, dual careers, mortgages. And so like, who has time to nurture emotional intimacy? We're just trying to survive, right? So that's normal and that's understandable. People feel like that. But sometimes on that note, I think people can think it's going to be really complicated and take a really long time, but you can do it in like 10 to 15 minutes a day. Um, But I think that's an initial fear that we don't have the time for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And third, I think people just don't know how. And they're like, yeah, I'm hearing this word, my partner saying, or this phrase, emotional intimacy, but I don't even know where to start. And so I really don't know how to, how to begin that. Mm. So you said something really important. Well, I think all all of those points were great, but you said, okay, so we don't have time and we don't know where to start. So when you said, okay, can take 10 or 15 minutes a day and let's imagine someone's listening and they're like, okay, yeah, I can come up with 10 minutes. 10 minutes is manageable. It's not an hour. Like what, what, what could they do in that 10 minutes to help? Yeah. So I teach a tool called the head heart check. And so what I recommend for this habit, and hopefully I encourage couples to do it more days than not. The first step is a pre-step. And this is where you just want to spend some time alone, even a few moments to gather your own thoughts and feelings, just to think through what have I been feeling the last 24 hours since I've talked last to my partner, what has been most salient for me? Um, You know, mad, sad, glad, or fear. You know, those are one way to think about the big four emotional categories to make it simple. Um, What has been going on for me? What have I been thinking? Because you don't want to enter into the head heart check, just trying to be a good listener. And then when your partner asks you questions, you have nothing to share. Right. And some of us, you know, we have pretty quick access to what we've been feeling and why, but others of us, we don't operate that way. And it takes a while to really figure out what have I been feeling? And that's how I am. So I'm not naturally oriented toward living in my feelings. I'm much more left-brained and focus on tasks and goals and um, action. And so I have to do this. So when my wife and I have our head heart checks, I have to think about what have I been feeling? You know, what has been going on inside of me? Um, And it takes a while for me to consolidate that to a degree where I can then share it. So that's like a pre-step. And then when you're having the head heart check, it's just a time where it's undivided attention, phones are off, TV's off, kids are away. And then you just turn to each other and ask what's been on your head and heart. That's the question. What's been on your head and heart. 
And then I encourage couples to share feelings as if it's a paper. So if you think of like the title of a paper, the title would be the feeling. So let's say you've been feeling sad. So the feeling is, yeah, I've been feeling sad. That's the title. And then the sentences in the paper are all the possible reasons why. Mm. So that's one way to think about it, to kind of organize your emotions so that when you share it, it's easier to express it and it's easier to hear, understand it as the listener. Mm, so you lead um, with the feeling and then you kind of describe why in your, yeah. it's like your essay, the, the heading is your, your feeling. And then every sub paragraph is how come or the possible reasons. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, like overall, you know, one thing I was feeling today was sad. And I think some of the reasons might be, you know, I'm just really missing my mom. Haven't talked to her in a while. And I don't know, I'm just not feeling much fulfillment. In my job so it's making me feel kind of sad as well. Something like that. To, that's a helpful way to kind of lay it out. Cause what you're also giving room there for is like, you don't have to have it exact or have it all figured no. out. It's like a hypothesis draft paper that you're writing as opposed that's to being right. a final report you're submitting. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's how emotional intimacy is, I think, or just sharing our emotions is it's more of an art than a science where we can only just do our best with what we think we're feeling and why we think we're feeling that. And sometimes we're spot on. Sometimes we're getting kind of close, but it's definitely a work in progress. I like what you said about, and, and thank you for that disclosure of that. It, the feelings don't come natural to you. I have a lot of my clients that say that, like, I need a second to think about what I am feeling. It's just not something I, I really am that familiar with a lot of the time. And that can be very confusing or frustrating for partners that have quick access. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I think it really just highlights that, you know, we're all, we can all be wired so differently with how we access our thoughts, how we access our feelings, our mm -hmm. ease of communicating them. And I just, I just hope that that kind of provides a people a moment to think, okay, well, some people, even, even someone who's a psychologist can, can need a moment to just really collect. What do I think? What do I feel? Yeah. Yeah. And that came through years of me feeling like I was cultivating, cultivating emotional intimacy with my wife thinking I was doing a good job. And then she would say, you never share your feelings. And I was mm. like, I don't know what I'm feeling. <laughs> like I need to, oh. I need to, okay, well, let me think about that. And so that that's where this pre-step came in. Cause I do have to spend a moment or two to really kind of consolidate what have I been feeling today and why have I been feeling those things? Yeah. And, and another element to it also, I tell people is don't feel like you have to share everything because if you're not used to sharing, it can be very vulnerable and uncomfortable. And so one analogy is like a garage door. So in the beginning, you may only want to like lift that garage door up about a foot and like, I'll just share a little and kind of see how this goes. And then over time, hopefully if you feel more safe, then you can lift the garage door up like four feet and share a little more vulnerable information. And so it doesn't, you don't have to feel like it's like all or nothing. Like I've, I've never shared and now I have to share everything to my partner. Cause a lot of people, you know, they don't want to do that and it's uncomfortable. So that's another element to it is take it slow based on your comfort level. Absolutely. And I find sometimes if you jump like I've thought of this as like the swimming pool analogy, dip your toe in at the shallow end and don't just jump in at the deep, jump in at the deep end. If you don't know how to swim, um, because sometimes if you jump in at that deep end, you don't know how to swim, you end up like with a vulnerability hangover and you're questioning yourself and you're like, that felt terrible. Sure. And, and hopefully if you're sharing for one of the first times or taking that step, we want it to not, well, it might feel uncomfortable. We want it to not be terrible for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. And especially if you're not used to it. And that's not your natural need yourself. And you don't have much experience sharing on that level. It's definitely nice to know it, you're in control of how much you, you choose to share. Yeah. Right. No one's forcing you to share everything. Just take it one step at a time as you feel comfortable and kind of get, get more used to it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Having said that, there is two ground rules I encourage couples to follow during this head heart check. The one ground rule is you can't fix. Oh, go on. Talk more about this. That's a big one. That's a big one. So, you know, a lot of us are fixers. And so if you hear, hear your partner venting, you know, it's on the tip of our tongue. I'm a fixer. Um, it's on the tip of our tongue to want to tell them what to do. And like, oh, well, you should do this or you should try that. Um, and obviously when you do that, you know, our heart's in the right place as fixers, but most often that's going to shut down your partner and make them want to share less mm-hmm. because they want to feel your support, not your solutions. So I tell people one ground rule, you can't fix unless your partner says, what do you think I should do? Mm-hmm. Or if you were in my shoes, how would you handle this? Mm-hmm. Then green light. However, one way to think about fixing is to refocus the target. So if you're a fixer, often you think, oh, I need to fix the presenting problem. But if you can reframe that as the presenting problem is my partner feels alone in this distress. And so if I can, the way to fix that is through empathy. And so I'm still fixing, but I've, I've repositioned what I'm trying to fix. And so I can still work with my wiring of a fixer, but do it in a different way to make my partner feel not alone in their distress, which is empathetic comments like, oh, that sucks. No wonder you feel like that. I can see how you'd feel X because of Y, things mm-hmm. like that. Okay. I'm so glad you gave those examples. Cause you said, okay, you know, how do you be there? How do you give support? And I was like, okay, that's so good. So how you gave empathetic comments is one suggestion. What other ways can people show support when their partner is talking instead of solving or giving solutions? Yeah. I think questions can always be nice. Like open-ended questions like, wow, like what else happened? Um, or man, how did that make you feel? You know, things where you're showing interest and concern around open-ended starting with like what or how, um, I think that can also show care and concern mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in addition to empathy mm-hmm. and also silence. You know, a lot of people think they have to continually fill the space when they're listening, but the powerful one, two punch is how I say it is empathy, then silence, That's a empathy, good one. then silence. And that is so powerful because when you empathize and then you're silent, it's going to probably shock your partner, first of all, because they're probably not going to be used to that. But it creates this space to feel like, wow, I'm, I'm safe here. My partner's being supportive. And now I want to keep sharing. I want to open up even further. And that's what you want. Because then, then you're allowing your partner to become more vulnerable, which will create more emotional connection. Mm, so more vulnerability, allowing them to share that, that helps to create some connection. Yeah. Yeah. And the second ground rule for the head heart check that I tell people is you're not allowed to say anything negative about your partner. Ooh. Because the speaker or the listener or both regardless. So, so if you're the one sharing and you're like, yeah, you know, I felt really mad today because I was thinking about what a crappy partner you are. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Or yeah, I was so sad because I just feel like you never meet my needs. Criticism again. (laughs) Yes. Right. And that's what people do. So they have these head heart checks and then, and then they think it's time to express their complaints. And then your partner is going to feel like, I don't want to do that stupid head heart check. You're just going to criticize me. Right. So there's other tools for the criticisms and complaints, but head heart check. It's about third party topics. It's about like, what else is going on in my life besides my marriage or besides my relationship that I've been having feelings around that I can share. So maybe that's my friendships or maybe it's my hobbies or maybe it's my work or maybe it's kids, but I I steer clear of anything negative about my partner. So it feels like a safe space so that they're not avoiding it for fear of getting criticized. Okay. Well, that's such an important distinction because very often, not always, my experience is that most partners do well or better, or they're okay at, um, 
listening to their partner's stressors or strains outside of the relationship. Yeah. Many people struggle when it's to do with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. And people have the false conception. Like I should be able to complain about you and you should be able to respond with empathy. Mm. It's really hard to do. If you're like, you know, uh, you're being a jerk today. It's really hard to say, Oh yes, I can Uh, see where you're coming from. That's right. That's right. And so when people say that, I'm like, no, that's not realistic. Yeah. Um, You can't just complain to your partner directly like that and expect them to be empathetic. You know, there's tools we have that can help you express that complaint that can optimize their empathy. But yeah, during the head heart check, it's no complaining about your partner. So outside topics. Yeah. And so both people have an opportunity to do this. Correct. So this takes about 10 minutes a day, you're saying? At the minimum. Yeah. I mean, if we were to sit down like, hey, what's on your head and heart, you know, and partner A may share for five, 10 minutes, however long they want to go. And then they switch it and they say, what's been on your head and heart? And then partner B shares the same, you know, about five, 10 minutes. The main thing I think is starting the habit Mm. and starting small. So it's manageable. So I would say start with 10 minutes and just take turns like five minutes each. And then every night when you do it, just get a little more comfortable at it. And you can go as long as you want. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the minimum, it's around 10 to 15 minutes for partners to each have a chance to share. Mm -hmm. And then we don't solve unless your partner expressly asks. That's right. Those are the two ground rules. So you can't fix and you can't say any complaints about your partner. Ooh, keeps it safe. One. Yeah. Okay. So what about if someone does, they want to break one of your rules because they do have a complaint about their partner. <laughs> Is there like a different time to do this? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of tools. And so I have two other tools um, that come into play when it comes to that type of thing. The one other tool actually to answer that question that can be tagged onto the head heart check is something I call the bullseye question. And so what that is, is you say to your partner, what's one thing I did right today? And what's one thing I could have done better? So you invite it, you ask the question. Okay. And and so that both partners know, we have a daily time where I can ask and give feedback on those negative things that pop up for me about my spouse throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to blindside them. I don't have to bring it up randomly. Um, And it's a game changer when you ask for it compared to when it's unsolicited and given to you. Yeah. Well, you're a bit prepared. You know, it's coming as opposed to like you walked in the door and now it's, yeah. now it's all over and you and you're like, I'm just taking off my shoes. That's right. No one likes to be blindsided. No. And so if you have this bullseye time and you're like, Hey, what's one thing I did right today? First of all, that helps so much focusing on the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of us need so much more positive than we receive in our relationships. Yeah. And so it's helpful to force us to look for the good. Cause usually we look for the, what could be better. Right. Um, so that's good. Sorry, I just had a, a bird hit my window. That's wild. Whoa, did you hear that? I, I, I did hear it. And then I saw you jump more than I heard it. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, anyway, so it's good for the positive because it's good to hear it, obviously, and it's good to look for it. And then when you say, what's one thing I could have done better? Um, that's helpful because you're showing your partner you care. You want to hear what they have to say. But there is one ground rule with that as well. Ooh, what's that? The ground rule is all you're allowed to say in response is, Thank you for the feedback. And then you take that feedback and it's up to you what you do with it. So you're, you can't say like, but didn't I do a little bit better with that yesterday? No. Cause if you go that direction, it's, it moves in the direction of defensiveness and that sends the message to your partner. It's really not safe for you to tell me how you really feel. Cause I'm just going to defend myself. Right. But if you get that feedback, what you can do is 
one of three things tends to happen. First thing that might happen is that's not legit. You know, that's my partner's issues. I can let go of that one. Mm -hmm. Second thing that might happen is "Mm, that was partly me, but partly my partner, but I can look at my piece there. Mm -hmm. Third thing that might happen is, yeah, that was totally me. I'm really guilty that I got to work on that. Right. But that's something you can mull over on your own time and just sift through that. You're in control of that process and you can decide what you think you need to work on based on that feedback. Mm -hmm. And by having that approach, it sidesteps defensiveness and arguments. Right. Um, Because otherwise, you know, if your partner gives you feedback and you just defend yourself, then they're going to stop giving you feedback. Right. Or you're just going to have lots of fights. Exactly. It's just going to escalate. And it's not going to create any connection. It's going to create disconnection over time. Right. Right. So those two, those two tools, head, heart check and bullseye, you put those together as like a nightly routine or more nights (laughs) than not. And they can, they can really transform relationships to cultivate more openness, more effective communication and intimacy all at the same time. Yeah. Is there any ground rules for how you communicate what you wish your partner would have done different or the. Yeah, I don't have any around that. And the reason is what I've noticed is when you're asked for it, it already puts your partner in a more manner focused posture, Mm. right? Because if they're saying, Hey, what's one thing I did right today? What's one thing I could have done better right away? I'm thinking, Oh, wow. It's so nice that they asked that. And now I have this forum, like this format where I can speak to that already. That's, that's going to bring out the best in me and how I want to say that. Right. Yeah. So most of the time, from my experience, when, when people are responding to that, they have pretty good manners. Right. Okay. Well, hopefully. Yeah. You know, what I'm thinking about this bullseye one, it's kind of like I'm picturing a car at the gas station before you want to go on a road trip, which is going to be your negative, like thing you could do better. You need to put some gas in the tank. And so I'm kind of imagining someone's talking about what you've done. Well, you're putting some gas in the tank and then you're going to deplete maybe some of that gas on your road Mm -hmm. trip when you hear about maybe what you could improve on. Sure. Yeah. That's what is definitely one way to think about it. Like gas in gas out. Um, and I mean, it's, it's not ama- always gas out, I suppose. It might not always be negative if sure. you're getting that feedback, but people, I think people really want to be affirmed as well as getting oh, yeah. negative feedback. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause usually we don't hear the good stuff and we get blindsided with the bad stuff. Yeah. Right. So that tool reverses both of those. Yeah. Um, and often all we need is to be able to get it out. Like just sometimes all, all we need is just to be able to say what the complaint is, say whatever hurt our feelings say whatever bothered us. And just by saying it and having our partner respond with, thank you for the feedback. Often it dissolves, you know, because I just need to get it out. And so it doesn't build because the problem is, you know, your partner hurts your feelings or they don't meet your need or they do something that offends you. And now what? Like if Mm -hmm. I'm not doing the bullseye question, I'm either going to stuff it or I'm going to become passive aggressive or it's going to build up and now I'm going to escalate. And so it allows, it's almost like a tire with like pressure in a tire So if you do the bullseye on a regular basis, it's like relieving the air out of the tire so that it doesn't eventually blow up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. So we've talked about some things that make you feel connected to your partner. So that's sharing your partner, your inner world, the heart and head and heart, the -hmm. bullseye question, any other suggestions about things that make you feel more connected to your partner or emotionally intimate with your partner? Yeah. I mean, from there, I think just doing spending quality time together is definitely important. Um, I mean, you can be doing these head heart checks, but if you don't have any extended quality time together, you know, that's going to make a dent in your relationship. And so having regular quality time is important doing shared meaning activities, you know, that's really important. 
Um, can you define a shared meaning activity? Yeah. I mean, that can be different per couple, but you know, most of the time when we're dating or courting, all we see is what you have in common. Right. And usually the longer you're together, all you can see is what you don't have in common. Right. And that's, that's really common to have that pattern. So a lot of couples, you know, they need to do some research on like, what are the top hundred activities for couples and then pick four to six that speak to both of you. And then try to start integrating those into your quality time together. So you can intentionally nurture similar hobbies, similar activities that you're both into. Yes. Um, things like that. And it can be anything like my wife and I, one thing that we're starting to both get into is gardening. Oh yeah. So we just moved into this house a year ago and it needed a ton of work, especially the yard. It was like deprived for 20 years. Um, and so just two days ago, we're out in the yard, you know, pulling weeds together, working in the dirt. And there's something really bonding about that. Even yeah. if it's, if it, even if it's manual labor, because you're shoulder to shoulder. Right. Right. And that cultivates that sense of teamwork and partnership. Um, so any kind of shared activity that you love with your partner can count. Yeah. And I'm thinking of early dating. And sometimes even if someone plans a date that you don't love, you're willing to do it. You'll go on it. Even if it's not your favorite, maybe it's a neutral Sure. And it's kind of reminding me of like openness to new, it's making me think of like openness to new experiences versus when you've been together for a long time, just like a question for people. Are you, are you as open to experiences that aren't your favorite things to do? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And it's definitely a balance because you want to be open to things your partner's into that you're not into. But if you try those a few times and you're still not into it, yeah. then that probably should be a minority of stuff you do together instead of the majority. Right. Because ideally over time you learn like maybe three to five, four to six activities that you both you actually really look do. forward to. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And that can take some willingness to figure it out. I'm even thinking like my husband and I, we uh, both have, he skis, I snowboard in the winter. So that was a good winter activity for us to do together. But in the summer, I noticed we didn't have one. So we had to do some thinking, like, how do we want to spend our time together in the summer? So he loves backcountry camping, which I will do. <laughs> but it is not my favorite. And I like to like show up. So I have my own backpack, which I will pack my own sleeping bag, my own sleep mat, my own clothes. But when it comes to the tent, the tarp, the cooler, the everything else, like it's his activity. So I will participate. It's one of those activities where I will go. So we have a shared thing, but yeah, I will not do all the things. So that one is like not the one we want to do all the time. And then the other activity that we decided to try to figure out for a summer activity was golfing. Cause my family golfed, he golfed, I didn't golf. It was also the pandemic. So I was like, let's give this a whirl. So here's the thing. I'm a bad golfer. It is not good, but there's something about being shoulder to shoulder and giving it a try and just spending a whole day together doing a thing as I sometimes improve my skill and sometimes don't, if you've tried golfing, it doesn't always look like you're improving. Yep. Um, but I've, I, I just, I want to share that story to say, like, I really feel when we do these things, even camping, we recently went camping, we had our few day camping experience in the backwoods. And, you know, I kind of, at sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do this, but then I go and I look back so fondly sure. on these times together, even though I don't like the bugs and I had lots of mosquito bites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely nice to have an openness and willingness to your partner's hobbies. Um, but if you try it a few times and it's still not your thing to, make sure you guys start doing things together where you're both excited. You're both looking forward to it. And that becomes the majority of the shared activities you do. You do. Absolutely. Um, Cause that is a trap. I think for some couples is, you know, one partner is really passionate about something and they kind of drag their partner along and that becomes the majority of what they do together. And then it's That's kind of less fun. 
it's less fun, right? And then if you're not into it, you're like, this is kind of a drag. It's all about you. What about me? And so it can even, I think, lead to some relationship problems at right. times, even though it's trying to create good memories, but sometimes it can backfire. So yeah, if they're not for you, it's being willing to kind of renegotiate and figure out what could we both be into. That's right. Yeah, that's why I usually encourage couples to do some research. Like just look up 100 most fun activities for couples and because that will give you a lot of options to choose from and pick out three to five that you both say, oh, that that could be fun. Right. Yeah. Something you're both willing to try. Mm-hmm. Make some time for. Right. Okay. So what um, are the barriers, do you think, to to trying some of these suggestions that we've talked about here today? Well, I think one barrier is a mindset that long-term relationships should not take work, Mm. right? That's a big barrier for people. And they think, you know what? Falling in love was effortless. Staying in love should be the same. And that can be further from the truth. Uh, Falling in love, yes, is so easy and so effortless. You don't have to try. You don't have to be trained on how to fall in love. It's just chemistry and natural and spontaneous and powerful. But once you're with someone for a while, after like that first year and a half and the newness wears off, then you're looking at each other and then you're like, now what? Right. And that's when you usually relationships go from summer into fall. Cause then, you know, needs aren't being met as well. And some resentment starting to creep in there and you're still in love, but it's not quite as strong. And then if you're not taking care of fall, you are right into winter and winter is when, you know, we're having deep resentments, a lot of conflicts, needs are not met. So I think one thing is just the, the mindset is so important that this is going to take effort. You know, it does not, I'm probably naturally gifted at my partner's drainers, the things they don't want. And I'm not naturally gifted at the fillers <clears throat> that they do want. And that's just reality for most people. Yeah. And so I can either just allow myself to drift, and which is what a lot of people do. But if I drift, I'm going to drift right toward the drainer behaviors my partner doesn't want. So if I want to be a good partner, I have to first believe in this mindset that like anything else in life, it's going to take effort. It's going to take mindfulness. It's going to take reminders on how to do things well. And we're not trained, right? We're not, we get trained for our careers. We get trained for our hobbies, but we do not get trained on how to be an outstanding partner. Absolutely not. Yeah. And so that usually gets people's attention when you put it in that perspective, like no wonder you're having problems. How much training have you been through? None. Right. Well, no wonder. Right. So, yeah. So I think that's one barrier at least is uh, this mindset that relationships should not take work. And if they do, we must not be meant for each other. So it kind of like bleeds into like a soulmate kind of like, I'm just thinking of like, you know, Disney movie, we ride away together happily ever after it required nothing. Just if it's meant to be, it's meant to be not figuring out. Okay. Well, when that screen cut at the end of the Disney movie, and we were happily ever after, what were the steps that it took to make you stay together happily ever after? That's right. And that's what isn't really well depicted on TV or movies or books. Oh yeah. Sometimes we see it, but we just see a lot of, and then it worked. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. You know, we're inundated with Hollywood and Disney and you fall in love and live happily ever after. And so that's our mentality that things are going to be summer forever. Right. But, but just like our seasons, you go from summer to fall and then winter. And then if you're not careful in the winter, things will break. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing too, I think is, is knowing that you can fall in and out of love multiple times with the same partner over the lifespan of your relationship. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. But when you, when you're going through fall and you're hit winter and you're feeling out of love, people often have a misinterpretation that, oh, I must've married the wrong person. You know, I'm never gonna have my needs met here. This is never going to work. 
those things might be true, or you might just be going through normal seasons of marriage or relationships and just means you have to double down and work harder to get into spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of mindset stuff around it that definitely can be a barrier. Absolutely. And I think you just gave a nice frame to shift the mindset, which is to think about it as seasons and to remember that even in the summer on the most hottest days, often it comes a storm and True. then it can clear up. Right. So if we just remember like seasons, it changes, it fluctuates Yes. that, you know, when it's raining outside, I can wear a raincoat some days and there's right. ways to cope and repair and adapt in relationships too, but it's not always just going to be sunshiny weather. Yeah. And you're personally in control of how long you stay in the season. Right. That's the other thing. So if you think of our, our natural weather seasons where we don't have any control, unless however, you fly somewhere else, unless you fly somewhere else. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> um, but in our relationship, we do have some control around it because if you're in fall, for example, or you're in winter, you can think about your contribution. Like, how am I making this issue worse? Like, how am I contributing to this negative season we're in? You know, mm -hmm. what can I do to show up better as a partner? What kind of help do we need? What kind of resources do we need to reach out for? So it gives you a sense of agency instead of learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we're in winter and we, I just have to ride it out as long as this lasts. But instead, think of it as I'm in winter. What can I do? What am I in control of that can at least I'm doing my part to help us get out of this. Right. Yeah. That's, that's so important. And it's so easy to look at, like, if my partner would only do X, yes, then we could get out of this season or this state. And right. I loved what you said about thinking, well, what can I do? Cause maybe, yeah. maybe sometimes they don't have as big of a role in most cases. Both partners have a role in most cases, not all cases, most sure. cases we both have a role. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And often our partner's growth areas are highlighted most when we're doing our best. True. Right. And that's, I think, so important to remember that. So if I want my, my wife's growth areas to be highlighted the most, I need to make sure I'm doing everything I can to be a good partner. Cause only then will she not be able to point the finger at me. Mm -hmm. Right. And instead we, we focus on our partner's issues, what they need to improve on. And then they just point right back at our issues and what we need to improve on. So all we can control is ourselves, but the, the more we work on ourselves, the better we become as a partner, the more it will highlight our partner's issues because they can't keep pointing the finger back at us. Right. So that's an interesting way to think of it from my That view. is an interesting way to think of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think many people sometimes struggle with like, I'm doing all the work. They're not, uh, I feel like I'm doing all the work. I don't see them changing. So I like this kind of like, okay, if we're doing some work, it does highlight some of their vulnerabilities, but what would you say if someone really feels like it's not balanced, they're really trying hard and they're not seeing some of these shifts or some of the suggestions like you're making today to do these things, like yeah. to do a head to heart check, to do a bullseye check. If someone's partner isn't really willing to do these kinds of things, mm -hmm. what, what then do they do? Yeah. Yeah. I'm mean, thinking a couple of things. Um, first of all, if you're married to someone, or if you're in a long-term relationship with someone who is, is not willing or seems resistant to working on the relationship, First step I would say is suggesting multiple avenues of support. So some people might be more open to an app or they might be more open to going to a conference or more open to listen to a podcast or more open to working with a coach or a counselor. So that's the nice thing with our, our time right now is we have so many different forms of resources. And so some people may say, I'll go to a conference, but I won't see a therapist mm -hmm. or I'll use an app, but I don't want to you know, fill in the blank. And so that's one option is to give them options, 
Mm. And maybe they're, they're more open to one than the other. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing though, is if it comes down to, let's say it's emotional intimacy as an example, and like, Hey, this is a big need for me. And I, this is really important. Um, and if your partner continually says, that's not my need, I'm not just gonna, I'm not going to work on it. I don't care. Then the next round would be, you know, seeing a therapist, um, Mm -hmm. like working with a therapist within that counseling, you may realize whoa, I'm, I'm doing things that's making it hard for them to want to nurture me emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like that might get highlighted or who knows, like all sorts of things may come out in that counseling process so that you understand the bigger picture of what's contributing to your partner's unwillingness to work on your need. And maybe it's because right. their maybe it's because their needs aren't being met either. Maybe. But if worst case scenario, you go through counseling three to six months and your partner still is unwilling to work on meeting your needs and they're just indifferent and calloused, the next step I recommend is a separation. Mm. Because at that point, if you stay with that person, it can enable them and you're training them that it's okay to stay with me and you don't have to meet any of my needs. Mm-hmm. And But that's like a last resort after you've already tried everything else we just talked about. But right. sometimes it does get to that because then yeah. at that point, it can feel like neglect. Yeah. And you don't want to just enable your partner and be like, oh, it's okay that you're not meeting my needs. And then you live like that the rest of your life. Um, so that's a boundary that may need to come in at some point to teach your partner, this is not okay. And if you get a separation, I view separation as ideally a wake-up call, right? That it communicates to your partner, my needs are important, just like your needs. And if we're going to make it, we need to be sensitive to both, not just one, not just the other. Right. Hopefully it serves as a wake-up call so they become more motivated to then start working on being a better partner. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, that's a really hard spot to be in when you feel like you're really working hard. But I love that you gave so many steps, whether that's a self-help book, a podcast, therapy. If they're not willing to kind of hear that, then therapy. If they're not willing to do that, then maybe separation. But there's so many different layers and avenues that you can try. Yeah. That's a really hard spot to be in when you feel like your partner doesn't intrinsically want to want to be close to you. It's like, oh, yeah. that, that really hurts. And that's a really, really hard spot when you love someone you're trying very hard. That's right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people over time just fall asleep in their marriage, right. For one reason or another. So, yeah. I mean, I think it is nice to know in your mind though, that there are steps I can follow. So I'm not signing up to be mistreated, right. I'm not signed up here to be, to be neglected. Uh, My needs are important, just like yours. And so I'll do my best. I'll do my part. But if we go through all these steps and you're still unwilling, then there's this boundary I have. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Okay. So we've talked about uh, many things today. Well, all emotionally intimacy related. You've given us great tools like the head, heart, the bullseye. Um, if listeners take away like one thing from this episode, what do you hope they take away? I hope they take away the importance of putting as much focus and energy on your marriage as you do other things in your life. Ooh. Yeah. So whether that's your career, that's your kids, that's your hobbies, that's your social media activity, we expend so much time and energy in so many, so many things in our life. And so just try to think about how much energy and time do I put in these other areas that are very important to me? And what would it look like if I put that same level of energy and time into my marriage or into my long-term relationship? Um, and then if I were to do that, you know, what, where are we stuck? You know, what kind of resources do we need to, to move forward? What kind of skills do we need to develop? But I would start there you know, to view relationships that this is only going to work if we work at it. Right. And so how could I redirect some of my energy I'm putting in all these other areas to my relationship and to my partner? 
Yeah. That's a great point. Excellent point. Think of all the places you're putting in energy. Are you putting it in your partnership? Oh yeah. Good thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, if you pick up someone's phone and you look up, okay, let's see how much time you spent on social media this past week. <laughs> Sometimes that's horrifying to look at. <laughs> I know. If you look at that, and you're like, what if you just spent like 10% on that with your partner yeah. or 30% of that on your partner? Yeah. We have the time. We're just choosing not to spend it on our spouse. Yeah. We pick up and we scroll mindlessly happens. Yeah. But yeah. What if you did put that phone down and you spent it, you put 10 minutes somewhere else that could make a huge difference. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all of this. And if people love listening to you today, where can they follow you, find you, contact you? Yeah. Uh, my podcast is definitely uh, a great place to begin. So it is called the Dr. Wyatt show. So wherever you listen to podcasts, the Dr. Wyatt show is a way to find me. I usually put out one episode a week and they're, they're just like I talked today. So they're very strategy oriented and, you know, here's four steps to X, Y, and Z. So the Dr. Wyatt show is one spot. I'm also on uh, Instagram and uh, TikTok and YouTube. Uh, my handle is marriage underscore Dr. Wyatt. So on all of them? Uh, yes, on, on TikTok and Instagram, it's marriage underscore Dr. Wyatt. And then it's the same on Facebook as well. And we'll get you- those and we'll link them all in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on YouTube, it's just the Dr. Wyatt show. Okay, great. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Sorry, were you going to say something else and then I cut you no, off? No, I was just going to say my, my website, if anyone's interested in just more resources, is uh, drwyattfisher.com. So it's D-R-W-Y-A-T-T-F-I-S-H-E-R.com. Amazing. We'll link that too. And I think what was really helpful today is like really practical tools, something that someone could do today. They're like, okay, we listen to this podcast. We can literally have these conversations tonight. It's not some big drawn out thing that you need like this huge framework. You're like, okay, I can say head, heart, let's try it. So you have an action item you could try today if you wanted, but it sounds like there's lots of tools and more to check out from you. So yeah, click on some of those links, go see what else he has. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.